Welcome to the Imperfectly Perfect Campaign, sharing real-life stories from real people to unite them in global change for the face of mental health. We will also reduce the stigma, creating communication, healing, and awareness to save lives and inspire. Join us weekly as we talk to some of the highly acclaimed faces, influencers, experts, and others who have been through extreme adversity. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of the Imperfectly Perfect podcast, where each week I'm joined by some of the world's most renowned faces in the entertainment industry, on the sports field, corporate leaders, and inspirational thought leaders around the world, each sharing their own truths and their personal journeys. Today, I'm joined by my good friend, Mr. Robert Mack, who you might remember from an earlier podcast around two years ago. Robert is an Ivy League educated positive psychology expert, celebrity happiness coach, executive coach, an author who studied under the direction of Martin Seligman, the founder of positive psychology at the University of Pennsylvania. He is one of the world's leading experts on the relationship between happiness and success and helps individuals and organizations achieve an energizing balance of authentic personal happiness and effortless professional success based on time-tested, face-valid data and timeless transcendental wisdom. His work has been endorsed by Oprah Winfrey, Vanessa Williams, and many others, and he's been seen on Good Morning America, The Today Show, Access Hollywood, E, Own, GQ, Self Health, Cosmopolitan, and Glamour. He currently has a new book coming out in the summer titled Love from the Inside Out. He's a new faculty member for the Institute of Integrative Nutrition and has recently re- released a new course on positive psychology for coaches. So first and foremost, welcome back to the show, Rob. Oh, thanks for having me back. I need to come back just for that introduction. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm getting better at those introductions. What was it? You are two just years? smooth. You're smooth, Lance. Two, two years ago or something now when we first met. And, and the reason why I bring that up is because anyone that's new, it, as you've seen, it's continued growing. We've got new audience members and everything. So it's been two years. So I just want to draw attention before we go into new things, because I really don't want to iterate the, the, the old podcast where people can listen to, but you've got an interesting life story as to where you are these days. So can you just take us a little, little further back along that journey? Yeah. So, you know, I work as a happiness coach, but I was the least happy person I think ever. I mean, I remember being so stressed out and anxious and self-loathing at the age of six or seven. I always thought I'd grow out of it. It was like, I'll do well in school. Maybe I'll do well in the athletic field. Hopefully I wanted to be a professional basketball player. That clearly didn't happen. I thought I'd have some friends, maybe a girlfriend or whatever. But as time went on, I did do well in life overall. I even had a great job at some point in time. And my depression just got worse and worse. And I became so depressed that I was uh, experiencing suicidal ideation dozens of times a day. I decided to do some research. I um, decided I was going to slap my wrist. So I went to the kitchen, get a kitchen knife, and um, started digging into my wrist. And... Um, you know, something very strange happened at that moment, which is no less strange now looking back on it, like 20 some years later, but for no good reason, without anything in my external conditions and circumstances changing, I just felt a level of peace and well-being that I hadn't ever felt before. And, uh, you know, again, I had a pretty good life at that time. I had no real complaints, but on the inside, I was just so miserable. And so when I had this suicidal experience, and I had this peace and this sense of well-being and this joy and love that sort of bubbled up from seemingly nowhere. I decided I was going to postpone the suicide for like 10 or 15 minutes. It's so, it's so ridiculous now. I laugh only because it's such a short period of time. But that 10 or 15 minutes of postponing suicide actually you know, bled 
pardon the pun, until, you know, several days, weeks, months, and now it's been a few decades. And um, my life has been significantly sort of transformed and changed um, from that experience. Um, So yeah, so in all that time, I mostly just spent a whole lot of time doing some research on what unhappiness is, what happiness is, what leads to it, what doesn't. And uh, in that process too, I guess I've been so excited about the whole journey and sharing the experience and helping people that I kind of made a career out of it. Um, but none of it was planned. None of it was planned. You know, um, it happened despite, um, you know, infinite mistakes. So we're going to get onto your new book a little bit later on. But for anybody that is predominantly new to understanding or hearing the term positive psychology, can you just just tell us what that is? Yeah. So it's really the study in science, it's an empirical study in science of what makes life worth living. Uh, you can call it the science of happiness. It sort of goes beyond that. Um, but it's also about the relationship between happiness and success. So lots of us have ideas about what leads to happiness um, and or success. And most of those ideas um, tend to be erroneous or flawed. Mm. And so positive psychology helps to unveil or reveal the true sort of causes and effects of happiness and how it does or does not interconnect or relate to success. So I normally, when I'm doing these interviews, I I obviously draw upon questions that I have, but then they become free flowing because I love it, the spontaneity of hearing things and then going straight in. And one of the things with you, like such a connection to everything that you always say, and I listen so intently, but when does that kind of model from disconnection of what you went through to suddenly studying get into the brain so you can rewire that because a lot of people from an external, what you went through, what I went through with my struggles to get to a newfound place of happiness takes a lot of bloody work. So much Glenn, so much. I mean, honestly, it, and I felt like I was recreating the will because there wasn't like a curriculum in place at the time, you know, I'm um, positive psychology wasn't a thing, you know, hadn't been founded yet. And I was lost and it took a really, really long time. And so all I did in the beginning was like, start to do some research around like, what is depression really? What is happiness really? What is, and answers are all over the place, you know, especially these days you go online, you're going to get as many answers as there are people in the world. And so that was the first challenge is that I didn't really know what direction to actually look. But even when I started finding things that I thought might work or might be helpful, I just had a whole lot of difficulty applying them consistently because you are like you said literally rewiring your brain you know you've been practicing something for decades at that point so you're not going to turn it around overnight or even in a week or even a month um we do know but based on neuroplasticity research that if you can do something consistently for about 22 to 66 days you begin to rewire the brain to do it much more automatically and effortlessly and hopefully even enjoyably um, but it takes time and it's really hard. I felt on most days it was like two steps forward. And it felt like a thousand steps back. I was like, ah, oh, none of this is working. I'm never going to get there. I'm always going to be miserable. I'm always going to be suicidal, you know, and I just kept going. But it took a lot longer than I ever imagined it would. Because that's one thing I want to draw people's attention to through the IPC and through people like yourself who are very successful now and people often aspire or look up and see these images or see you on tv shows presenting and think 
they can never go through. But to understand that process, I think it's imperative so that people can go, oh, it wasn't a quick win thing. Like this day, as we spoke about earlier, like everybody wants this success on this entrepreneur journey really quick, but they don't actually understand. And I once heard a saying that was like, okay, so when this all comes to fruition from God, if, if to say you was having a meeting with God and he was to show you where you was going to end up with everything that you could achieve, but he also showed you the lessons that you would have to go through. Do you think you'd take that walk? So <laughs> one of the, the most important things that I want to bring to, to, to the IPC, that whether you're a successful businessman, positive psychologist, as well as entrepreneur, as well as a famous celebrity, it's hard work behind it. And that's the thought process I wanted to get into there as it wasn't such as you went from, that youngster with a knife to suddenly picking up books and looking, because that's one thing people have different personality traits and different ways in which they learn. For me personally with the IPC, I wanted to remove the whole premise of literature. And the reason was because when I was going through mine and somebody said to me, read this, the last thing I wanted to do was get out of bloody bed, let alone read something. So how did you in the way that your thought process was working and getting yourself from a state of, of, should I say, manic, what's happening here in my head, I don't know how to deal with it, to then pick up that book? How did you find yourself learn best? Beautiful question. What a powerful question. And that can only be a question asked by somebody who's been through it, Glenn, clearly. Um, so, yes, you know, and the, I'm an avid reader of books. I've always loved books. I was most shy of my high school class. I didn't really speak until I was like 16 years old a whole lot. I didn't say a whole lot. So I was used to diving into books, particularly to escape my life or my world or to figure it out. But when I was depressed at that level, it was extraordinarily difficult, like it is for anyone who's depressed, to do anything or to find interest in anything that you normally find interest in, including books, right? So I, at the beginning, I could do a little research and I was like, okay, I'll, you know, look up online what depression is, what unhappiness is, what happiness is and all that. But it was difficult for me to, on a consistent basis. And it's mind blowing to me now to think about it because I have a book literally sitting right here and one to my left and one on my right, but it was very difficult. So what I did though, what was much easier for some reason for me to do was just to look at my life and say, look, all this stuff I'm doing is making me suicidal. It's leading me to feel suicidal. So what if I just did something really crazy and just started doing the opposite of what I've been, can I just try to do the opposite if I have a corporate job, can I try to do it without a corporate job? If I'm in this cold city, can I try to move to a you know warmer city? If I'm in a relationship with an incredible, beautiful woman and I'm not enjoying it, not, she's not enjoying it, can I try to not do that for a while and take a break? Or so I just did this, had this experience of like opposite day. You know, as kids, I don't remember for you, but when we went to elementary school, it was like occasional day. It was called opposite day, and you did everything on the opposite. So if somebody said left, you went right. You know, it was just kind of a game that you would play in school. I actually was applying that to my life at the time and saying, okay, I don't know if I'll ever be happy in the way that other people talk about it, but I can certainly make some decisions to be less unhappy. And it didn't require a whole lot of reading at first. It was just like, I want to move to Miami because it looks sunny and it feels like there's beautiful people there and it's going to be a different experience. This relationship isn't working out. I think I'm going to break up. Like this corporate job isn't working out. I don't know how to fix that because I need the money, but I'm going to look for a way out. So it was just that in the beginning. It was all about changing my conditions and circumstances, despite the fact that they were so objectively good, but I wasn't feeling happier for them. Yeah, that's fascinating. And when it comes to it, what throughout your learning, 
through the evidence base and the practical stuff, yet alone the theory, what surprised you or what did surprise you? Um, that we're all individuals and the science can point you mostly in the right direction to make well-educated and informed bets, but that at the end of the day, you have to customize it for yourself that, and that you, and that you sort of make the path by walking it. That's mm-hmm. tough. It's like, you know, building the fly, the, it's like building the plane while you're flying it. It's like, wait, what? Like I've, you figured out all along. So, so yes, I mean, without question, books and teachers are extraordinarily helpful. I mean, to this day, I have infinite gratitude for all the teachers, both virtual and, you know, in real life that I've met and known. And at the end of the day, greater, greatest teacher is always inside you. And you're not always crystal clear that that inner teacher is going to lead you anywhere that will be productive or happy, but you have to try anyway, you know? So right, Glenn, it's extraordinarily difficult to just sort it all out. Um, but you can lean into the science, but just remember at the end of the day, if something doesn't resonate with you, you try it your own way. You, you know, science might be wrong. Science has been wrong, you know, all the time. But that's what I love. And that's, that's what I love about this process. And you hit on it there. It's like so many people sometimes, and I'm not talking just in the wellness space, but we almost want someone to give us the answer because it takes that burden off us and it makes it easier for us because we want anything that's not going to be harmful. But through your process as well, because we can only speak, well, you can speak as a professional as well, but as a personal experience, was it hard to, and do you have to when it comes to positive psychology? Because I've learned quite a lot within that. Um, you're changing your narratives a lot of the time, aren't you? Like we go through a lot of those narratives. So something that we have in common when we spoke about body dysmorphia and the way we didn't like what we looked and things like that. So anyone that sees this video and sees you will be like, he didn't like the way he looked. <laughs> likewise, Glenn, likewise. <laughs> but it's one of those things, isn't it? Like changing the narrative is one of the hardest things to do because things play out. And if you're in your thirties, that's very, very hard to do. So how as a professional and how as a personal, can you start integrating those things? So, oh man. I mean, the questions with you, Glenn, are always so profound. You know, I get these soul shivers every time I connect with you. It just it lets me know that we're just uh, soul brothers. And um, you're the only person who asks me these questions, these kinds of questions. And I appreciate that. It really. So, I, you know, a couple things. I, I would say that, you know, it was hard. It was so hard to change the narrative in the beginning. And that wasn't even really on my mind as much. Right away, it was just, can I stop making my pain more painful? Can I stop feeding the unhappiness by doing unhappy things that I don't really want to do, that I don't really enjoy, that don't really make me feel energized for having done? Okay. Over time, I did eventually discover you know, and I had already had some seeds planted in my mind about the importance of thinking differently, changing my narrative, telling better feeling stories based in truth. Thank you, Abraham Hicks. You know, and so I had a little of that in there already. So for me, I realized that I had a huge leg up and an advantage that lots of people didn't have and that I was driven to suicide. And I was, and and for that reason, I was very one pointed about being happy. I was like, clearly the money thing isn't helping. Like I'm making as good as money as I ever thought I would at this particular age. I have the most beautiful, incredible, wonderful girlfriend ever. We're not happy necessarily, but we love each other greatly. I have a great, healthy family, incredibly supportive. It's like, I have all the things. And so that was at that point that I came to this recognition love, like 
it's got to be something else. It can't just be the conditions and circumstances. So then I was driven inside and thought, well, how is it that I look at things? And I realized very quickly, I would look at getting what, not getting what I want was a problem, right? And then I would notice that, well, also getting what I want became a problem because I would start to worry about losing it right away. It's part of the challenge with the relationship or whatever. It's like, she's so amazing, probably going to lose her. So then I realized, let's go deeper than that. And instead of looking at everything and everyone, including myself, from this very negative, worse feeling story perspective, I needed to do precisely that, which was tell a better feeling story based on truth. And because happiness was literally life or death for me, meaning that I had made a decision, I'm going to either live as blissfully as humanly possible or not live at all. I became extraordinarily laser focused on doing this one thing, which was to vet my thoughts based not exclusively exclusively whether or not they were true but also based on whether or not they were constructive so i was like i don't care if i need to think things that are not true if i'll feel happier for it i'll do it Mm. if thinking the truth and focusing on the truth is going to make me this miserable i'd rather go without the truth and focus on something that's totally fake and be all good and happy and peaceful and be able to you know contribute to other people's lives and my lives in a more positive way so that at first is where I had to start, where I had to like give up this idea that by thinking pessimistically or telling the worst feeling story that I was speaking truth or that I even cared about the truth. I had to turn it around entirely and say, this isn't about the truth any longer. This is about what supports me in achieving and feeling and experiencing what I most want to achieve, feel and experience. And that was a huge shift. Wow. It is like I'm so I'm always blown away with some of the, some of the stuff you go because just processing it. But it, then it goes to, and I know I've spoke to you off air and we've spoke about this. But for somebody to understand from an external point of view, I've got to know you over maybe three. I don't, I don't even know now. Was it two, three years ago? Because yes, of this, it, it, yeah, it's been over three now. years. Yeah, three yeah. years. And all the conversations we've had all the time. There's being this connection, but one thing that I've noticed with you and I've always said to you along the way is you give so much. You give to a lot of people. Is there a preconceived judgment from people when you go in that you should always be happy because you're known as the happiness guy? And how do you protect your energy? It's a great, great question. Um, So I struggle with that a lot, actually, especially when I wrote Happiness from the Inside Out, right on the heels of that book, you know, because I was at really one of my lowest points financially, you know, strangely and interestingly enough. And um, I was going through some tough stuff in my life, you know, relationship stuff, health concerns, things like that. And, um, and I was doing a book tour and all these things. And so I really struggled with that because I felt like, you know, every time I showed up to another speaking engagement or did an interview that I had to deliver on that. And sometimes you get it even from the people, you know, friends or family in your life. And they'd say, you know, Hey, you're a happiness coach and you wrote a book on happiness and you've got, you know, celebrities endorsing it. And I think, you know, are you, are you sure? You should sure this is your path kind of thing. And two things on one level, I had a knee jerk reaction. And of course you feel, you could feel a little defensive or reactive, like, well, geez, I can't have a moment on the other. I really genuinely appreciated that because I had to make, made a commitment to myself to live as happy as humanly possible. And I made a commitment in writing a book or sharing what I know to share as much helpful information around being happy as possible. And so much of that is not just talking the talk, but it's walking the walk, Mm -hmm. right? So 
I had this sort of sort of like inner conflict a little where on le- one level, I'm like, one hand, I'm kind of like, oh, that doesn't feel good that I have to be this way all the time. On the other, I was like, you know what? I did make this commitment and I do want to live up to it. And it's not only healthy for me, but it's healthy for other people too. And that doesn't mean to not appreciate, of course, or feel your feelings, all of them. I mean, you want to experience the entire spectrum of emotions and feelings and sensations, perceptions, all that. But also, Glenn, it led me to a deeper appreciation and understanding what true happiness actually really is, right? Mm -hmm. So in the beginning, you know, it's mostly like we think it's our job and some money and health and all these things. And sure, we'll take all that. But we know from science, most of that, in fact, all of that won't guarantee you happiness at all. So then you go inside and you start to tell better feeling stories based on truth, to change the narrative, as you said, and you make some progress with that. But then you find that sometimes you might be in a state where you're trying to force yourself to feel happy by changing the narrative. And you can't do it right away. It's like being in, a, in reverse gear and trying to shove in fifth gear. You just drop a transmission that way. So at some point you go beyond that and you come to a discovery and a realization that happiness, true happiness is not a lifestyle status. It's not this a relationship status. It's not the state of the body. It's not a state of emotion. It's not a state of mood. And it's not even a state of mind. It's a state of being, our true state of being, our true nature that exists underneath, above, beyond, below, between all thoughts, feelings, emotions, perceptions, and experiences. It's always there, and it includes and allows for all thoughts, feelings, experiences, sensations, and emotions to coexist, right? But there's a sense underneath all that that there's just a sense of all as well all as well. And that is, so it was a major shift that, so, so Glenn, that was a huge question. And I you know I said a lot there, but it's such a powerful question that it really needed to unpack a little. Yeah. And I'm glad you did. Like, I like conversations with you could go on like three, four hours, mate. One thing that you said there that I just want to draw upon, because it's something that I've noticed along my journey that I'm going to start asking this question to a lot of people. You said there from your profession, what people see on an external, you're up there presenting, you're talking, regardless of what you're talking about, that for you personally was one of your hardest times financially. Looking back on that time now, what were lessons, because I've, I've noticed through my journey, everything's a lesson to teach us something. What did you learn from that point of being at your lowest financially to where you are now? Um, what you lose in the external world, you always gain on the internal one. So, you know, it was real tough. I was like, ah, oh, I don't have money. You know, like I got this advance for the book and I'm spending it all on the book tour in the hopes that it will pay off later. And that was a struggle for me. But then I also realized that, you know, not only does art imitate life, but life imitates art. So if you call yourself a happiness coach or teacher, be prepared. The life is going to (laughs) deliver some experiences that let you keep that, you know, front of sort of top of mind. Um, So there's that. I would say that um, also you never get to the end of any of it. You know, not that I thought I was at the end where I discovered what happiness is all about. But I, you know, I I think um, I've always been a lifelong learner committed to that. And I think you want to allow increasing ever evolving unfoldments to surface from within. There's that. Um, the other thing I, I discovered was that like, you know, it's so easy to catastrophize things. And 
um, reality is always sweeter, I think, than our thoughts about it. Um, and the mind can make, you know, a hell of a heaven and even a heaven out of a hell. And so while I didn't have a whole lot of money, I mean, everything else that truly matter I had. And I was living a really phenomenal experience on this book tour. My mom came with me and um, despite just having enough to get through the book tour, it was one of the highlights of my life. And so I think part of the lesson there is just that you might think you're living in a valley, but if you can really truly embrace that valley experience and not add insult to injury by complaining about it, by judging it too much, and just sort of try to accept where you are truly, then you find that you weren't in a valley at all. You were living on the mountaintop all along. You know? Yeah. yeah. Drop some drop some good wisdom bombs there. You know what I just want to say, like on behalf of me, people don't know like you've always been there for me as a support system and another good friend, Kazia Lucky, who's also a positive psychologist. And I would have to say, which I'm going to get onto my next question, is make sure you have these people in your life. Like to change that narrative and to learn. But one thing that Kazira always says to me, which you say in another way, but it's it's challenging your perceived thoughts or actions. So if I something happens within what I'm doing and I'm like, I could go back to the old narrative and go, oh, well, I knew that would happen. And that's a pattern in my past. Whereas a positive psychology coach like yourself and Kezia has always like said, I invite you to think and to actually open and broaden. There's so much thing that's come into my life that I would have perhaps in the past just gone, no, shut down away. But that one thing there that you both say is like, I invite you to think about it this way. You're not putting or projecting your thoughts. It's just opening a dialogue and a conversation. And you sit there and you go, wow. So my growth since like, obviously we caught up three years ago has just, just this spectrum and just learning. And I can't tell anybody to have people like yourself. And I'm not going to say you're going to have an influx of people going, I want a Rob Mack in my life. With a positive psychology, this new way, this new scientific evidence base is incredible. It truly is. I agree. I mean, I, I just love it. You know, um, I, I, and it's interesting, you know, I discovered positive psychology at just a time when it was right for me. Um, and there's something interesting there too, to what you said, which is like, I discovered positive psychology when I was open to it. Didn't know what I was looking for. I was just open, right? And there's something just about being open. You know, you don't have to be convinced that it's the best day ever when it feels like the worst day ever. Never I'm not talking about pasting smiley stickers on empty gas tanks or anything like that. It's not about lying to yourself. Um, but it is about being open and entertaining competing narratives that better support you in feeling the way you want to feel or achieving what you want to achieve. Mm. That's it, right? If you just stay open, you'll be surprised at the ways in which life delivers experiences and people and opportunities that don't look like what you expected them to look like, but are even better and more helpful than you could have possibly imagined or scripted for yourself. That's the huge piece for me. You know, so people to these days say, well, Rob, you know, what goals do you have? What dreams do you have? What desires do you have? And I love the question, but I've also discovered that I've been consistently wrong about what I think or thought would be a wonderful experience in my life. They often turned out terribly or a terrible experience that often turned out wonderfully. You know, so, you know, your dreams, desires, goals don't often show up with a name and a face that you imagine. They come in all kinds of different forms. And sometimes they're poorly packaged. And so you have to unwrap every experience with an open mind and open heart. And you'll be surprised at what you discover inside.
It is so powerful, so powerful. So that leads me on to your upcoming book, Love from the Inside Out. So we know that the first book around went amazingly well and it brought people to know who you were and about what you did as a profession. So what are we expecting from from this book? Yeah, so, you know, I've been motivated by this book. Um, you know, I, I, I've done a couple of shows around love, you know, one in particular, famously single on E. And I get a question a lot, like, well, you're single, Rob. How could you know anything about love or date, you know, whatever? So well, I can tell you for sure, I know a lot about dating. And I would say that the way I think about love is different um, or maybe complementary to the way that most people think about love. For me, love isn't an exclusive relationship that you have with one person. Love is a way of you have a relating, an inclusive way you have a relating to all people and all living beings on the entire planet. Like, and if you think you just love one person, you don't really love anyone. But if you love everyone, you can love individuals, right? So it's really about love not being a state of relationship or relationship status. It's not about love being a state of mood only or even a state of mind over only. Love, like happiness, in fact, they're synonyms, is a state of being. It's your natural state of being. It's your natural felt sense of oneness with the life that exists within you, right? And when you feel that sense of oneness or that life within you, and you feel consistently, it expresses itself as love for other people. And so for the way I see it, love and joy, love and happiness aren't two separate things. They're two expressions of the same energy, the same phenomenon. When you're happy and you're all by yourself and your aloneness, we call it happiness. When you're happy and you're togetherness and you're out there, you know, mixing it up and spending time with people, you get that happiness on everybody else. And then we call it love. Mm. But love is just introverted happiness and happiness is just extroverted love. Wow. And when's this coming up? Uh, in the summer. I'm not sure of the exact date, but probably July-ish. Wow. Can't wait. Can't wait. Are you coming to Australia with a book tour, mate? Oh, dude, don't get me started. You know, I would love nothing more just to hang out with you. Any excuse to hang out with you, I'm down for it. I, I love and want and need to get to Australia anyway. So, so the answer is yes. It's only a question of timing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you're also doing a positive psychology coach for coaches. So is this predominantly people who have started studying it and you're just excelling that or? Yeah. So, um, great. Thanks for asking. Yeah. It's, um, I'm a new faculty member on the board um, on the faculty there at uh, Institute for Integrative Nutrition. And um, it's like the largest health coaching organization in the world. And so I teach a sort of introductory introduction to positive psychology for uh, coaches. Right. So the great thing about the course is that it's really valuable for people who aren't only interested in becoming coaches, but for people who just want to live a life they love. Right. So, yeah, I'm excited about the re release of that. Um, but yeah, you can go to IIN or find it online. Um, but yeah, that's just, I pretty much do the same thing, Glenn. And I just try to repurpose it in different, you know, sort of ways. <laughs> you know, it was funny though. I was even saying to, to Kazia the other day, I was like, when the IPC is at a place where I can actually pull back a little bit and just oversee things and put certain people into certain places, which is happening at the moment. I said, that is one thing that I actually want to do positive psychology because the more that I have learned from you and the more I've learned from Kazia, I'm just like, it's just opened my eyes. I mean, you know, my story in the past, I saw, I saw a psychologist and it was just trying to drumble, drill down, should I say something to my childhood, which it wasn't for me. Like I, I went through the whole process and had to look at myself and I was like, well, I never had a body image when I was like 
up to about 27. I was like, I was the first one on the beach. I, was, I couldn't give it a damn. So there was all that. But with positive psychology, it's just, it, it almost is, and forgive me for speaking out of turn or if, if this is wrong, but for me as a personal opinion, it is changing that narrative, but it's rewiring the brain. And there is some cognitive ability about it because you are changing and rewiring and looking at different words and thinking about things a lot differently. You absolutely nailed it, Glenn. You know, um, one, one way to think about um, positive psychology is precisely the way you described it. You know, positive psychology has roots in humanistic psychology and cognitive behavioral um, therapy and mindfulness-based cognitive mm-hmm. behavioral therapy. And, uh, you know, really it's got its sort of roots in lots of different areas of other, you know, schools of thought around psychology. And it sort of brings us all together in a way that um, sort of, puts our best foot forward around, let's say, mental health, right? And so I've always felt that you are a positive psychologist at heart anyway, Glenn, like from the, the moment I met you. Um, but yeah, there's incredible, you know, I think we often think that our language and that language itself, including our thoughts, is something that we only use to describe the world, but it actually informs us about our world, right? And so it informs our perception of the world. And, you know, that's an important recognition to have, that we never really think truth ever you can't think truth it's like you can't you can think about think about honey you can think about truth but we only have these five senses and these five senses while they're so fantastic they only give us really five i'll say six senses five ways of seeing or experiencing the world and thought is a poor estimation or approximation of what's actually happening so anything i can say about glenn i can say glenn is good looking and he's so well spoken and he's so hard working he's so personable he's a great father he's a great partner that's all true and then somebody else can come along and say all these terrible things about glenn and no matter how many things we say about glenn we can't possibly describe or define all of glenn we're only picking up a slice of glenn and describing that one slice and that one slice becomes our experience of glenn so mm-hmm. it's my experience like yours that I want to focus on that slice of everything in the world, including myself, that makes me feel better about that person or feel more connected to that person, including, and despite whether or not that person is myself or someone else. Yeah. And I think that's, that's important for anyone to learn. And I think when you've gone through this process of really understanding that inside happiness, where it comes from, you actually remove external judgment from other people because everyone's on a different journey. We've never walked a mile in someone else's shoes So don't cast a stone. And this is one thing I love about the IPC. The more and more it's grown and the more and more people I've spoken to and the more and more different levels I've spoken to across every industry, it's like it it boils down to the same thing. And that's being human. And that you just don't know, like you even said it there, like with the money and with whatever you've done. And I've spoken to people like who've said, I made a million dollars here. Didn't make me happy. I got the height of the fame here didn't make me happy I thought I had achieved everything in life that should or would possibly make me happy and yet I was miserable inside Glenn you're there's so much there like yes 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 and yes like when you like when you stop judging yourself you automatically stop judging other people you suddenly realize how much of your life has been about projection um when you start loving yourself you automatically start loving other people um the other thing is you're absolutely right there's something called the hedonic treadmill or hedonic adaptation, which essentially is just the idea and the experience that all experiences, both the worst of experience and the best of experiences, fade with time. That's mm-hmm. why both lottery winners and recent paraplegics 
folks that have been recently paralyzed, most in most cases, returned their base level of happiness or unhappiness, depending on where they were at, that they experienced prior to the to that accident or the windfall. They return to that level after a certain period of time, right? So all experiences, acquisitions, achievements eventually wear off, and they never deliver as much happiness for as long as you ever expect them to deliver. And that's why you can't find happiness in objective experience, in the external world. You can't. You can keep searching for it, and we all try, and it's good to enjoy the external world. In fact, you can enjoy the external world more if you can find this source of true peace, love, and happiness within yourself. But if you only look for it in the world, you'll consistently be disappointed and unhappy. So I've just got three quick questions, because as I said, I can speak all day to you listening to you. Um, But one of the things you touched upon there, and I really want to attest it to something that I struggled with. And I know you struggled with, but I don't know to the extent of was it comparing yourself to others like I did? And that's one of the things with social media. So as a positive psychologist, how do we, and we touched on it before the episode, actually, how do we remove ourselves, or how did you as a personal um, stance, remove yourself from comparing yourself to others to put yourself in a place of cheering for others? Like we often said, your success is my success and vice versa. So we cheer the loudest for each other. I had to redefine success. Yeah, I have to re- redefine success. Uh, I think it's one of the best things to do is redefine success in a way that's supportive and healthy. So if your measuring stick for success is dollars or health or beauty or anything basically external, you're screwed. Okay, like you're going to find somebody at some point in time who makes more than you, who's better looking than you, who's stronger than you, who's slimmer than you, who's whatever, right? So I redefined success in terms of happiness the reason we want success the only reason we want success the only reason we want anything or anybody in the world is because we think we'll feel better for having that person or having that thing period that better feeling i call happiness you can call it fulfillment or contentment or joy or bliss or anything you want but the real goal the only goal that doesn't lead to another goal is happiness itself when you're happy you're you're content with happiness alone when you get success there's something you want beyond that. There's always something more. It's like this hungry ghost that you can't feed. It's like a tapeworm. You can't quite get enough of. So happiness is what we're ultimately after. So if you can redefine success in terms of happiness and then come to appreciate or recognize that that's an internal game, that's an inner game, then the comparison uh, game and the competition game starts to lose some attraction for you. It's not nearly as appealing because it's like, wait, hold up. This life is very short and it's very long, especially if I'm unhappy. The point and purpose of everything I want, even in this comparison game I'm playing, is to feel better. And if I truly am committed to feeling better, then I can automatically pivot to doing something else, anything else that's healthier and happier than comparing myself to other people, right? So for me, that was a huge part of it. I was like, no, happiness is going to be my thing. It's not going to be being the best looking. That's not, that's impossible. It's not going to be being the smartest. I know I'm not that. It's not going to be being the richest. That's going to take forever, you know, and not going to happen. So I came back to something that I felt was a lot more worthwhile and a lot more achievable and a lot more rewarding, which was just happiness itself. And then when I discovered positive psychology, it just got better. The whole thing got sweeter because I realized if you can, instead of putting the cart before the horse and putting success before happiness, if you can reverse that and put happiness first, then it leads more effortlessly to all the success you want. 
So when you're genuinely able to sort of rest and relax and get comfortable in your own skin and where you are in your life at this point in time, that resisting and seeking energy that you sent out that's like so unattractive to other people and unattractive to other opportunities, you dial that back and suddenly you become much more attractive, both in terms of people and opportunities. We know happy people are more attractive physically, literally. We also know they attract the best of life. They make more money, about $607,000 on average over the course of their entire lifetime. They get married earlier, stay married longer, are happy in all the relationships, whether they're married or not. They live six to seven years longer than their unhappy counterparts. They experience less job burnout. They're also better people. Happy people tend to donate more money and time and energy and resources and blood. So happiness is truly an unselfish thing that you can do for the world, probably the greatest gift you can give to the world. So when I started discovering all this, I was like, okay, I'm going to take the cheat. I'm going to take this cheat code, this master key, and I'm going to go directly to the source for what I want. And I'm going to trust that it's going to lead to everything else I want much more effortlessly. Wow. Yeah. And even on a spiritual aspect, I was listening there and I was listening to something I was listening to it all, but the the thing that I really picked up of it and how I took it and internalized it was that even on a spiritual level there to some point, internally, you are literally being broken down from everything you know to realize that the more I'm comparing, the more I'm judging, the more I'm actually pushing all this thing that I want out of life away from me. And when people talk about this, this manifestation stuff and all this, yes, it's true. But ultimately... Unless you're broken, all these old narratives here, it's very hard to take preconceived judgment, this, 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 this. So you're actually working against what it is to actually oh, manifest. So good. Glenn, that's what, exactly right. That's why there are these platitudes and cliches that just sound like platitudes and cliches, but they're platitudes and cliches for a reason. <laughs> that's because there's truth in them, yep. right? You resist, persist, right? What you seek, you are. Right. If you can really come to see through the platitude and cliche to the heart of the truth and the essence of the truth in there, you, you suddenly realize they're all saying very much the same thing. And that is just what you said, Glenn. You know, it's um, pretty miraculous and magical the way things change and shift when you get real clear about the one thing you're optimizing your entire life for. Mm. And you can make it happiness. You don't have to call it happiness. It might just simply be acceptance or and you don't have to do it all at once. That's the other thing. I think in the beginning, I was trying to do it all at once. I was like, I'm going to try to you know, live happily ever after. That's too much. It's just like right here in this moment, am I making my pain more painful? Am I feeding my unhappiness with unhappy thoughts or actions or people? And if I am, can I just let that go? Can I just let that go? So yes, happiness ultimately for me, and I think it sounds like for you too, is subtraction, not addition. It's letting go, not holding on and seeking more. Although that happens on its own. There's yeah. nothing wrong with seeking. It's just that you won't want to make your happiness depend on anything external. That's all. Mm. Yeah. Just a moment of silence there because we're just taking it all in. So that's the, the audience listening to this would just be like just taking it in because I think it's so... Like I say, it's, it's imperative to understand. And what I want to reiterate to everybody listening that is, yes, we can be talking like this now, but this journey for me has been a long bloody time of going inwards. And I know it has for you. And that's this profession you do now. 
is years and years. So I don't want anyone ever to think like you can go from there to there and suddenly be like, oh, this is fantastic because then that falls or can do into toxic positivity and trying to perceive this. But it's it's been three years, mate, since you came on the podcast last, right at the beginning and you've supported it all the way through. But I'm going to look back at that podcast and I'm going to ask you the same question because I'm going to see how much we've grown through everything and different experiences. We've been proven right. We've been proven wrong. What does imperfectly perfect mean to you today? It means um, being that open, all allowing, all loving, all welcoming space or presence that seeks nothing resists nothing and enjoys everything oh love that love that yeah that's wow well i was going to end it by by just coming out with 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 something but i think what i was led to do and it's something that you mentioned on the first one and i'll tell you i was actually on and i always speak highly of you but i was doing a presentation for something and i was talking about how you can create a ripple effect and your story can actually save a life And I was telling it, I think there was about 100 and odd people on there and obviously on a platform. And I told you your story, this very story. And I couldn't end it because something went over me and I choked up and there was just silence. And I was texting the person going, I just can't, I I, I can feel it now. The story when you saved that young boy's life, can you just end this episode with that and just show how sharing your story can save a life? Yeah, for sure. Again choked up now just thinking about you getting choked up in this whole mm. story so yeah so um you know glenn and i you know you and i we met on good morning Law lands you know got glenn on and anyway so it was one of these weeks i was doing the morning show and you know i would normally after you know, a couple times a week i'd go across or down the street uh, to the beverly center and i have to buy you know some new clothes or whatever for to keep up with all the episodes and so anyway on one day i'm walking out of the store and um this gentleman, maybe his fifties, you know, good looking guy. Um, and he calls out, Hey, Hey, Hey man. And I don't look around. Is he looking at me? He's talking to me. And I look, realize he's talking to me. He said, Hey, Hey, you got a minute. I'm like, yeah, sure. He's like, Hey, I love the way you're dressed, man. You know, you look real clean. And I'm like, ah, oh, thank you so much. That's so nice of you. So kind of you to say. And then he said, Oh, well, what do you do? And I said, well, um, you know, I, I have a, I do a morning show, but I'm really a guy that just likes to see people happy, you know? And, uh, so I work as a happiness coach and a positive psychology expert. And he's like, oh yeah, you wrote any books? And I said, oh yeah, I wrote a book or something. And he said, um, how'd you get into that, Rob? And I sat back and I told him the story, you know, like when I just told you a little earlier and I said, you know, I was depressed, man. I mean, I don't remember being really anything other than depressed as a kid or stressed or anxious. And I don't remember anything other than being really self-hating. There's not one thing about myself I didn't hate. I mean, literally everything, the way I wrote, the way I spoke, the way I walked, the way I looked, all of it. So I'm telling this story and I get to the part and said, Hey, you know, I was so miserable and unhappy. I f- kind of felt like the only way out was to kill myself. So went to the kitchen, got the kitchen. I told him the whole thing. And then as I'm telling the story, you know, I feel to my right, this like heat, there's like some heat coming, you know, and, and a presence there. And all of a sudden it just dawned on me. And I'm like, Oh, there's somebody standing here. So I turned to look and there's a, uh, you know, a young man, probably early twenties, you know, brown guy reminds me of myself a little bit, you know, and I look and I see this guy just welling up with tears. You know, he's just, I mean, it's raining, you know, his face is just, his eyes are just raining. 
tears down. And so I said, Oh, you know, brother, I'm so sorry. I don't, I don't know if I said something just now to hurt, you know, to hurt your feelings or to upset you, but I apologize profusely. I did not mean to say anything that would upset you. Please let me know what it was that I said so I can make it right with you. And he said, no, no, Rob, Rob, you don't understand. You don't understand, dude. Today, today was the day. T- today was the day I was going to, you know, I was going to do what? He was like, today was the day I was going to kill myself, Rob. And I'm like, blown away, man. I'm blown away. I don't have any words, you know. And I just feel myself getting more and more emotional about it. And I said, well, how are you feeling now? He's like, well, Rob, I'm not going to do it, man. I'm not, because you like hearing what you just shared with me and just seeing you stand here. And, you know, I just feel like I could do that too. I could be like you too. I could maybe, who knows? Like, and I was like, oh my God, like that experience. So he's like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. You know, I don't know where that young man is today. I try to keep in touch with, but you know, didn't uh i don't know where they ended up but i do know that at least for that day this incredibly transformative experience happened not really by even virtue of anything that i did at all i mean i had no conscious awareness of what i was doing but just simply sharing my story from my heart because this very interested very curious man very politely and kindly asked me and this entire young man's life at least for that day shifted Glenn and that experience reminds me so much of why I do the work I do why I love you so much and why I love the work you do so much and why it's so critical to continue doing the work that you do in the way that you do it Glenn Uh, so I just want to thank you above all else for that um, because it solidified all that for me too and I'm just going to leave it there because that's so powerful and it's just, yeah, it, it's just this thing that overwhelms you. To, you can't, yeah, because it is so powerful. Um, so, guys, I'm going to leave it there. But I'm going to put all the links up to Rob where you can find him. So make sure that you go to the podcast, subscribe, like, and share this episode. As I said, I'll put all the links up to where you can find Rob and his latest book, which is coming out later in the year. So make sure you grab it, guys. Until next time, make sure you keep having the hard conversations because it's the hard conversations that save lives. To find out more about the Imperfectly Perfect campaign and how you can get involved, simply head to our official website at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org or email us today at info at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org to speak to one of the team. The Imperfectly Perfect campaign is creating awareness and is not a substitute for professional advice. Should you need help, please refer to your nearest crisis number.